0: I am. I am. I am. I am. I am. A hypocrite, hypocrite. A hypocrite. I am. You are. What now? Good morning Wow, I love baptism. That's so cool. Quiet group. You all right? Yeah. Hey, uh, if you are new or newer to Grace, we would love to know that you're here. The best way to do that is to text hello to the number that's on the screen. In other words, text the word hello to the number that's on the screen. Or if you're online right now, thanks for joining us. Uh, there is an I'm new button somewhere on your screen right now that you can just click. Uh, but if you're old school and you feel funny taking your phone out at church... You can just fill out the card in the back seat that says I'm new. Uh, Either way, we would love to just get a hold of you this week and welcome you and see if you have any questions about who we are and what we're doing. Uh, We know that it's a fairly large uh, group of people and sometimes hard to figure out how to navigate everything, so that's just a great way to do it. A couple of invitations for you, if you are engaged or married five years or less, Meg and I are having a little thing on our patio next Sunday at 6 o'clock. We'll have dinner together and just kind of tee up a good conversation for uh, young marrieds—not necessarily young people, but young in their marriage—so you're welcome to uh, sign up for that. But we do need you to sign up because we're going to buy food. And for those of you who don't know, our patio is right here on the campus. So is our house, but and the patio is behind the house. But anyway, if you don't know where to go, just come here in the evening, and you won't be able to miss it. Uh, one more invitation for you today: They're having a book and bake sale in the back. You may have noticed it when you came in. Woohoo! Uh, they are raising money to uh, uh, sponsor people for um, the retreat, the women's retreat. So this morning I said to the first service that when you go back there, buy a cookie for 100 bucks. And somebody actually did it. So you guys can buy a cookie for 200 bucks and show them up. Uh, you don't have to just whatever you want to pay is fine. But uh, we would love for you to support that. There's some great books back there. Um, If you want to pick up a book, I'm sure that that could be a great way to support them as well. Again, all the money goes to scholarship women uh, for the retreat. We are wrapping up 1 John already. And uh, this is week five. Before I do that, I want to thank Bryce and Kevin uh, for really bringing it when they had the opportunity to teach. If you weren't here last week, you should listen to What Does Walking with Jesus Have to Do with a Burrito? which was Kevin's message last week. He killed it. It was awesome. Um, But we would love for you to uh, to do that. I don't know if you know this, but you can subscribe and just get the podcast of the sermons automatically downloaded to you. uh, Or you can go on anytime. You can watch the services or you can just listen to them. Um, But if you miss one week and you want to catch up or keep up with the series, uh, that's the best way to do it. We're going to look at the closing chapter of 1 John. But before we do, I want to give you just a little bit of a review. So John, the Apostle John, is writing to the same churches that received the letter of Revelation, the book that we studied before 1 John. If you remember, it was written to seven churches that were under the oppressive Roman rule. And John is on Patmos, and he's um, an exile, and he writes Revelation. Well, he's been released from exile, and now he's writing the follow-up, and you could say, he's writing this letter to say, in light of revelation, in light of the revelation of Jesus, this is how you the church are to respond. It's a very intimate letter. If you'll go back and look at it, it doesn't have all the formalities that a lot of the letters that Paul wrote have. It's because it's written to his home church. He calls him beloved. He has just a whole lot of affection in the letter. But he is writing to them saying, this is what it looks like for you in light of all of this information to be the church. As a matter of fact, you could summarize the book of First John as how to be the Church, right? It's a blueprint, if you will. Um, Regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the generation, this is how we are to be the church. Regardless of whether the church is, is in a closed country and under persecution or free like we are in the United States, regardless of the political climate. Uh, economic climate, it doesn't matter, this is what it looks like to be the church. And it's fascinating to me, if I were to write a letter or a, a paper on how to be the church, I probably would spend time talking about governance, like how is a, a church supposed to be led, plurality of leadership, you might address whether or not you should have bishops or overseers, you might even talk about liturgy, what, how do, how do we design a service, what should a service look like, how many songs should you sing, Uh, Maybe who should be able to teach and who shouldn't be able to teach? Should pastors be paid or not be paid? And the interesting thing is none of that exists in this letter. None of that is in there. And I think you could make a strong case that what John is saying is if you get the message I'm giving you right, everything else is going to take care of itself. If you get the message of 1 John right, you will be the church I've called you to be. And all of those other peripheral, not necessarily unimportant, but all of those other issues are going to come into focus. The overarching message is if you want to be the church God has called you to be or the community of Jesus followers, you must believe, love, and obey. You must believe, love, and obey. When we were praying this morning for the service, I just had this sort of revelation that what I'm preaching today, it's really not that complicated. It's not easy, but it's not complicated. First John is not complicated. It's pretty straightforward. Most of what you read, you're going to understand it. Again, it's not easy to live it out, but it's not that complicated. So what you're going to hear this morning is pretty straightforward. Amidst persecution, amidst trials, amidst seasons of harvest, seasons of famine, good times or bad times, if you want to be the church that God has called you to be, you need to believe, you need to love, and you need to obey. With that in mind, grab your Bibles, your journals, turn to 1 John chapter 5. If you're using the Bibles under your seat, we're on page 1023. Uh, There's a red Bible under your seat. If you don't own a Bible, uh, you are welcome to keep that red Bible under your seat as a gift from us. If you are online, again, thanks for joining us. You can come by the church anytime. We would love to give you a Bible of your own. Encourage you, whether you're here in the room or at home, to have a journal or a Bible in front of you. Have it open. Find the text each week. It's going to help you, especially if you're fairly new to this journey with Jesus. It's going to help you to navigate the scriptures better. It's going to help you to remember things if you write it down. If you are using the journals, I encourage you to write what I just said. How to be the church. Or you could even write how to follow Jesus faithfully. And then just write those three words, believe, love, and obey. If you got baptized today and you're wondering, how do I move forward? How do I, how do I live out this thing called Christianity? It comes down to believe, love, and obey. If you're like the Aylerts and you've been walking with Jesus for decades, it's the same for you. How do I live this out faithfully? You believe, love, and obey. All right, stand up if you don't mind. I just want to make one more observation before I read it. In their journals or in the Bibles under your seat, this section of of chapter 5 is entitled Overcoming the World. And I I know I've told you this before, but in the original text, in the Greek text, those those headings are not part of the original text. Those are added for us in order to navigate the scriptures better. But I think it's a a brilliant thing that the the experts said, this section of 1 John is how to overcome the world. Overcoming the world. As I read, I encourage you to listen for the, the three elements that I talked about. Listen for obey, listen for love, listen for belief. All right, verse one. Everyone who believes, there it is right away, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever whoever has been born of him by this we know that we love the children of god when we love god and obey his commandments for this is the love of god that we keep his commandments and the commandments are not burdensome for everyone who is born of god overcomes the world and this is the victory that has overcome the world our faith Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Verse 6. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by water and blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For these are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men... The testimony of God is greater, for this is the testimony of God, that he has born concerning his son. Whoever believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe, God has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has born concerning his son. And this is the testimony, that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that he hears us in whatever we ask. We know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. Keep yourselves from idols. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for uh, this journey through First John. Pray in this moment that you would guide my words. Uh, our prayer is the same every Sunday, that we would leave this room, that we would leave this broadcast different than we came because we have had an encounter with the living God. I thank you that you know us. I thank you that you see us. I thank you that you knit us together in our mother's womb. You know our name. You know every hair on our head. You know us intimately. You know what we need to hear. I thank you that in a, in a room like this, in a broadcast like this, that you can speak a word corporately and you can speak a word individually. And we ask that you would do that. We ask that our ears would be attuned to you. Pray that you would help us to be the church that you've called us to be, to be the people that you've called us to be. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. So John opens chapter 5 by returning to this threefold test, if you will, for every believer and in turn for the church itself. It's really been the point he's been hammering throughout this entire book. As a matter of fact, if you have the opportunity and you go back and you read 1 John with this threefold test in mind. If you're thinking about believing and loving and obeying, you're going to see it repeated over and over and over. So in chapter 1, John starts with a a, a basically a, a statement of who Jesus is because belief is not enough. If your belief is in the wrong Jesus right, then it's not going to accomplish anything. So he's making sure that not only do you believe, but you believe in the person of Jesus, the Jesus who is part of the triune God, the Jesus who came, who gave his life for us and reconciled us to God. So there's this beautiful picture in chapter one of, of whom and what should you believe. And then in chapter two, He hits all three of these in a pretty uh, straightforward way. So I want you to see it because I just want you to really uh, sink into this threefold test. So look at chapter 2. Hopefully your Bibles are still open. Look at verses 3 through 6. And he says, By this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. He's talking about obedience. Whoever says I know him but doesn't keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth isn't in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way that Jesus walked. It's all about obedience. And then when he gets to verse 7, you look at it, he says, Beloved, I'm writing you a new commandment. But I'm not writing to you a new commandment, but an old commandment that you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. Jump down to verse 10. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. Now he's talking about love. So he's covered obedience. Now he's talking about love. Look at verse 20. He says, but you have been appointed by the Holy One, and you have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. jump 24, it says, Let what you have heard from the beginning, let the testimony of what you have heard, let the message of Jesus, let the truth about Jesus that you have heard from the beginning abide in you if what you have heard from the beginning abides in you. Now he's talking about belief. So we got this beautiful picture of of all three. And then you get to chapter three, he spends the entire chapter talking about obedience and love. And then when he gets to chapter four, he spends the whole chapter talking about belief and love. And if you were here last week when Kevin talked about the burrito, he was talking about the fact that, that there is this different kind of knowing. Remember he talked about the two words for no. One is about intellectual assent. One is about having information about God. The other no is having an intimate relationship, an intimate understanding of who God is. It's not enough just to know about God. It's not enough just to, to hear the facts about God. We need to have a, a deeper, more intimate knowing of God. I love it that the writer of James makes it clear that just believing in God isn't enough. He says, even the demons believe in God. Right, so it's not enough just to believe. There is something about an invitation to intimacy and knowing that he's breaking down in chapter four. Again, if you didn't hear Kevin's message, encourage you to listen to it. Does a great job of unpacking that. And then we get to chapter five. John returns to all three of these tests. All three are are right there in right in the opening chapter or opening verses of it. So. Look at verses one and two of chapter five. I want you to see something that I think is easy to miss in our modern translations, but absolutely critical. He says, everyone who believes, this is verse one of chapter five, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. That's a key phrase we need to hold on to, born of God. And everyone who loves the Father, loves whoever has been born of him or born of God, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. Now it's easy to read this passage and begin to think that the Christian journey is an exercise in intellectual ascent. Let me explain what I mean by that. As if as it that it's your job to, to do as many Bible studies as you can, to listen to as many podcasts as you can, to get as much information as you can, that, that you are brilliant and you are going to discover everything you need to know about Jesus. And, and because you're so smart, you're going to figure out this whole Jesus thing. Here's the deal. There is zero question That in the original Greek, the way that John is writing it, that what he is actually saying is those who are born of God believe. That sounds like a subtle difference, but it's pretty profound. He's not saying if you believe, you will be born of God. He's saying if you are born of God, then and only then will you believe believe. God gives you the capacity. God gives you the understanding. God gives you the faith. Faith is a gift. Each person should be careful to use the measure of faith given to them. You did not figure this out on your own. You are not that smart. I say this all the time, but the movement of God in your life always starts with an invitation. God is the initiator We are the responders to what God has initiated. If you pick up your Bible and you read, and if you've been walking with Jesus for a long time, and and I'm sure you've had this experience, you read a passage of scripture and you're like, I have never seen that before. That is amazing. Look what God is showing me in his word. Guess what? It's not your intellect that did that. It's the spirit of God speaking through the word, helping you in your belief. It is a spiritual thing. Actually, the scriptures say that for those who don't believe, this whole story about Jesus is nonsense. That's what it says. It says to those who are perishing, it's just, it's nonsense. It makes no sense at all. There's a a really cool uh, story in the Bible, uh, in the Gospels. You remember when Jesus says to his disciples, he's asking him, who do the people out there say that I am? They've been watching my miracles. They've been listening to my teachers. Who do they say they am? Some say you're a teacher. Some say you're a prophet. And then he looks right at the disciples and he says, yeah, but who do you say that I am? And Peter has this moment and he looks at him and he says, you are the Christ, the Messiah. And I think it's fascinating that Jesus doesn't like jump up, hug him, pat him on the back and say, Peter, you are brilliant. You know what he says? He says, you did not figure this out on your own. The spirit of God revealed it to you, right? There is this need for us to humbly accept the fact that God is the revealer of truth. It keeps us humble and it keeps us hungry to, to be with God as we study the word. If, if you sit in a service and the sermon makes sense, if the gospel makes sense to you, you need to understand that is the spirit of God working in you. So he is saying clearly in chapter five, those who are born of God are given the capacity to, to believe, right? If you are born of God, then you can believe. If you are born of God, he's actually saying that is the only thing that empowers you to love the way First John is calling you to love. He's actually saying if you are born of God, you have everything you need to be obedient to what God is calling you to. Look at verse 4. This is his way of, of summarizing everything he, he just wrote. He says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Something supernatural takes place. When you are born of God, you receive the Spirit of God, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, and suddenly you are empowered to live out the Christian journey. I read Oswald Chamber most every morning. This morning, uh, when I read it, I was like, wow, it sounds like a sermon I'm preaching, but let me just read a couple quotes from this morning uh, from Oswald Chambers. He says, when you were born of God, that's my part, he says, the perfect qualities of Jesus Christ are imparted as a gift to you. I really like that, so I'm gonna say it again. The perfect qualities of Jesus Christ are imparted as a gift to you. Not gradually, but instantly. The holiness of Jesus becomes ours, becomes yours. The most wonderful secret of living a holy life doesn't lie in, listen to what he says, doesn't lie in imitating Jesus, but letting the perfect qualities of Jesus exhibit themselves in your human flesh. Being a faithful follower of Jesus is a supernatural process. Being the church that God has called us to be isn't about strategy, it isn't about brilliance, it isn't about about the leadership gifts that exist among the team. It is a supernatural process and it all hinges on being born of God and thus empowered by the Spirit of God. I think it's also worth noting that the phrase born of God is perfect tense. It's not past tense and it's not future tense. It's present tense perfect tense. So we would say born of God, like it's a transaction. That's sometimes how we even use it. If you're born again, it's something you did back in the day. You walked the aisle, you prayed a prayer, you somehow crossed this line of faith and then you're born of God. It, it finally had happened back then. Or some people would say, no, it's going to happen when you die or when Jesus returns and you're going to be born of God and you're going to be with God. He's saying, no, right now Right now, you are born of God. It's part of your identity, who you are. It's present, continuous believing that's a result of being born, present tense, of God. We are God's children now. And we are in the process of growth and transformation. God reveals, God calls, and we respond. I'll say it again. The movement of God in your life always starts with an invitation, so God is the initiator; we are the responders, and He is inviting every person in this room. If you are listening to this message, if you're sitting in this room, if you are in I can tell you absolutely clearly that God is inviting you to more. That God is revealing Himself to you, and your responsibility is to say yes. Yes, God, I, I want more. Yes, God, help me to understand more. God, help me to comprehend. Help me to understand the things that Pastor Doug is talking about. Help me to understand the scriptures. Every time you pick up the Bible, you say, God, reveal yourself to me. Help me to grow in my belief as I read your word. I was telling Meg Thursday night, we were talking about the series, and I, I, this has been the hardest book I've ever taught personally. Um, it is so black and white. It is so like, you're either in or you're out. You're either, you're either doing it or, or you're not. It's so black and white. So, so I read it and, and it's like John's getting in my grill. Like he's, he's right there. And so you read like, it actually says, listen to what it says. It says, he who loveth not knoweth not God. And I say, man. I loveth not all the time, (laughs) right? I I mean, I think I love my kids fairly well, but there's times I'm not very loving. There's times I'm not very loving to Meg. There's times I'm not very loving to my coworkers. And and I think to myself, man, do I not even know who Jesus is? Right, John, the, the, the letter of John is in your, if you can read 1 John and not feel some level of conviction, man, you need, you need to be in a different job. You, I, don't know, I don't know what you should be doing, probably walking on water. <laughs> Whatever. But I'm just saying, it is a hard book. But then something happens when we get to chapter five. right? In chapter five, John is encouraging us. He's saying, look, I understand you are in the process of transformation. What's our mission statement here at Grace? We are? Well, say it like you like it, Prudence. <laughs> Achievers, we are, Mosaic, striving to live like Jesus. <laughs> yeah, striving to live like Jesus. And guess what? None of us have arrived, right? None of us can say, I, 24-7, I live like Jesus. Again, if, if, if you do, I, I'd like to meet you, right? We, we are all a work in process. I love that the Bible says that we are to work out our salvation, not work for very different statement it said work for yourself. You're supposed to work it out. It, it means you become a, a follower of Jesus. You are born of God. Something has taken place. Now you are one of God's children. Now you learn to live into and live out that identity with the help of the Holy Spirit in your life. The encouraging word we get from chapter five is you're not left on your own to figure this out. As a matter of fact, if you try to do the Christian journey in your own strength, you will fail every single time. I said it earlier, but it's worth repeating. Chapter 5 is declaring, for those who are born of God, they overcome. That means those who are born of God are entrusted with belief. Those who are born of God are inspired to love in this radical, sacrificial sort of way. Those who are born of God are empowered to actually walk in obedience, to obey. Believe, love, and obedience, right? They're the distinct attributes. But here's the deal. You can't really pull the three apart, right? It's not as if you could say, well, today I'm going to work on loving my wife but next week, I'm going to work on obedience, right? Loving God, loving people is, is woven into being obedient, and you really don't love God unless you believe in God. That they're, they're really uh, enmeshed with each other. I love what John Stott says. He says, these three are so closely woven together into a single coherent fabric that it's difficult to unpick and distangle the threads. But this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus, this is what it means to be the church that God has called us to be, that we believe, that we believe in the triune God, that we believe in the person of Jesus who was fully God and fully man. We believe that he came. We believe that he actually walked this earth, that he, that he had 12 disciples, that he did miracles, that he was crucified on the cross at the hands of the Roman government, that he was buried, that he rose again on the third day to reconcile us to God, We believe and that we love. We love with radical, sacrificial kind of love. And that we obey. Again, you, you can't love somebody and sin against them at the same time. I said that a couple weeks ago. You can't love your children and sin against your children at the same time. You can't say, I love my wife and sin against your wife at the very same time. I want you to hear this. It's important. Love is not an emotional experience. It's a moral commitment. Amen. Love is not an emotional experience. It's a moral commitment. The love that we read about in first, John, it has nothing to do with a warm, fuzzy, right? It has nothing to do with your heart racing and, and being aroused. I got news for you. Both those things can happen looking at a computer screen. But it ain't love. The love John is calling us to is not a feeling. It's an action. But the good news is if you do the right actions, often the feelings will follow. Meg says it this way. Sometimes you feel nothing. But often if you take the right actions, the feeling will follow. That's true. If you got baptized today. Your journey going forward is to believe, love, and obey. Again, if you've been doing this for decades like the Yalerts, your journey is to believe, love, and obey. And the good news is you have everything you need for life and godliness. If you believe, if you've been born of God, you have everything you need. Verse four says, everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. In chapter 5, he actually says that the, the, the commands of God, the precepts of God are not burdensome for us. Right? And what he's saying is it, it's not hard for us who know Jesus because we are empowered by Jesus. What did Jesus say? He said, take my yoke upon you. He's basically saying, take my teaching upon you. Take my way upon you because it's not heavy. It's not burdensome. My way is light right it's not burdensome for us because we have the empowerment of the holy spirit you read first john the bar is high and we are all going to fail to clear the bar at times and my encouragement is to you, to you is not fall into shame but don't fall into complacency either like it's too hard i, I can't do it first john is saying yes you can yes you can if you know Jesus, if you've been born of God, you can believe and you can love in a radical way, and you can live a life of holiness and obedience. First John is saying, in every generation, in every circumstances, this is how to be the church: believe, love, and obey. I want to just close uh, this series by just reading the last, almost the last three verses. So, look at verse eighteen. I think what John is doing is he's kind of wrapping this difficult letter up with some incredible words of encouragement. Verse 18, he who is born of God protects him. He's basically saying if you've been born of God, God protects you and keeps you from the evil one who cannot touch you. Verse 19, we know that we are from God. And verse 20, and we know that the Son of God has come and given us understanding. That God is with us, that God is for us, that God is revealing his truth to us, that God is always, always, always inviting you into more. I love that this is communion. Uh, My encouragement to you so the scriptures say before you come to the table, before you take communion, that a person ought to examine themselves. And the examination this morning for you, the personal examination is how am I doing? How am I doing with what I believe? Is there anything in my life that's competing for my belief in the person of Jesus? How am I doing in the way I love the body of Christ? How am I doing in the way I love my kids? How am I doing in the way I love my spouse? Is there any obedience issues in my life? Am I carrying unforgiveness, bitterness? Those are sin, you know that? Someone has sinned against you in the past and you're still angry and upset. Maybe God is calling you to leave it at the altar today. Do you have habitual sin in your life? Because if you have Jesus, you have everything you need for life and godliness. So are you struggling with an addiction? Do you know that you can be free from your addiction today? Amen. That God has given you everything you need for life and godliness. The Holy Spirit in you has given you the power to overcome and to walk a life of holiness. So we're going to take a couple minutes, give you a chance just to do some quiet reflection. I will take the elements together. If you didn't get elements when you came in, you're welcome to just walk down here, grab the elements that you need. There's some gluten-free elements, if that's better for you, in the smaller containers. But just come get what you need if you need some. uh, Again, we're just going to give you just a couple minutes of uh, John playing for you to pray and then we will take the elements together. I think it's fascinating that Jesus said every time you come to the table, remember. It's not an exercise in intellectual assent. It's an exercise in aligning our heart with the truth. That the Son of God came and sacrificed his very body. that shed his very blood so that we so that you could be reconciled to God. He says, every time you come, remember. Because without simple reminders, we forget essential truth. You read the Old Testament, you read the New Testament, remember, 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 remember. Why? Because we are prone to forget. Not forget, but forget. The gospel drives us to a place of humility. The gospel shows us how to love others in that sacrificial way. The scriptures tell us on the very night that Jesus was betrayed, knowing everything that was about to happen to him, knowing that all of his friends were gonna betray him, knowing about the whips and the spitting and the beatings and the nails, there were no surprises in the crucifixion for Jesus. He knew it all. He said, knowing all of that, he showed them the full extent of his love. He took the bread and he broke it, he said, "This is my body broken for you. Every time you take it, remember me." Part of the Passover experience is that there was four cups. The third cup was Elijah's cup, the cup of sacrifice the Messiah's cup for 1400 years the people would gather at the Passover meal and say someday the Messiah is going to come that was the cup that Jesus was holding when he said this is my blood shed for you I am the Messiah this is my blood shed a new covenant for the forgiveness of sins every time you drink it remember me Lord, I pray that you would help us to remember. Deep in our souls, we would remember the radical love of God. Love the cosmos so much that he sent his only son that whosoever believes in him wouldn't perish but have eternal life. Help us to remember Lord, help us to remember that we are not alone, that we are not set off to figure this out on our own, that you have promised and you have given us the Holy Spirit. Help us to be people of spirit. Help us to be people who grow in our belief, who grow in our capacity to love, and who are holy and obedient before you. Amen. The Gospels tell us that when they had finished the meal, they sang a hymn. We don't do a lot of hymns around here, but we do sing. So I encourage you to stand up, and John's going to lead us in a song.
1: God should offer his only son, who else invites me to call?
0: service, had a sense that the Spirit of God was saying that there's some in the room, there's some online who are suffering from some wounds of rejection, whether that happened in your childhood or recently, I don't know, but if you need prayer for that, we would love to pray for you. Uh, there's that some that just have some confusion about who they are in Christ, we would love to pray for that, and there's some who are just seeking the kingdom of God. Uh, we would love to pray for you. Uh, If you're online right now, the best way to receive prayer is to call during the week. And uh, one of us pastors would be happy to just take that call and pray with you and for you. But if you're here in the room, we have trained people down front who would love to pray for you. If you have a physical ailment, uh, we would love to pray for healing for that. If you have a spiritual, uh, something to be prayed for, maybe a little bit of both. Um, Either way, we would love to meet down here and pray for you. Uh, thank you for being here and doing First John with us. want to encourage you, we're going to start a new series next week. And Meg and I are going to co-teach uh, next week, so you don't want to miss that. God bless you, and we will see you next Sunday. Thank you, Pastor Doug.